Welcome to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. Each week, we explore beliefs shaping our world, from the big events to the unseen forces that may be influencing our personal relationships, attitudes, and experiences. I've been thinking a lot about the unseen, especially this week. I celebrated a milestone birthday, and it sparked a lot of reflection about my own evolution, the things I have learned and unlearned. It's one of the reasons I am so grateful for this job, because each and every conversation gives me something to ponder, especially on subjects that are fraught with emotion and deep passion. Conversations that make me question exactly what do I believe and what do I really know. It's deeply personal, and it's not often linear. Because at the end of the day, we are not linear. Sometimes moving forward means turning around, shifting our perspective, and sitting in a space where we may feel some discomfort. In a world that is deeply polarized and divided, pausing to listen and reflect takes courage. And for some, it carries a risk that's much bigger, making us vulnerable to accusations we may not be prepared for. This week, we explore these themes with Dean Isakaroff, his journey asking difficult questions about his national identity, the actions of his country, and how his spiritual beliefs and faith fits into it all. Reporter Shana Shaley brings us this story from the new podcast series, Sacred Steps. This is Dean. I'm not religious. I'm not, I don't believe in God, but I feel very Jewish all the time. Dean Zakharoff wears small round glasses. He has bushy brown hair, bright eyes. The night I visited his Tel Aviv apartment, he opened the door for me barefoot in cut-off denim shorts and a thin t-shirt with a picture of Cookie Monster on the front. He was on the phone, working. When he's not talking on his phone, it's dinging with notifications pretty much constantly. Dean is the 27-year-old spokesman for a member of Israel's parliament. We sit at Dean's kitchen table, drinking cups of soda water. He rolls cigarettes as he tells me his take on Judaism. The best story that I learned from Judaism, it's uh, when Abraham's supposed to leave everything and go on this journey. And what he does in this story, he stands up and the first thing he does is he smashes his father's idols and then he goes out for his own journey. This is the forefather of Judaism, and he stands up and smashes the idols. That's the kind of religion that I can subscribe to and identify with. The stories Dean heard growing up in Jerusalem about his family had a similar mythic tone. These were stories about his grandparents, who fled anti-Semitism in Europe for Palestine before the state of Israel was established in 1948. His grandfather fled from Uzbekistan and fought in an underground militia to help create a Jewish state that would protect Jews from persecution. 
Dean's grandma told tales about hiding weapons from British soldiers. So you have one grandpa who was like this freedom fighter. And then my dad was in the Foreign Service. It was, it's like very clear to us that we're part of this place. Israel was Dean's place, his family's place. And he was ready to fight for it, too. But I'm not going to start singing it now. <laughs> the Israeli anthem used to get me um, extremely excited, like goosebumps excited, like this is my home excited. When Dean was growing up, his religion was all about Zionism. He felt an almost gravitational desire to build and protect the Jewish state. My Jewish identity was based completely around nationalism. My Jewish nationalism. I wasn't religious. I had Zionism. That's the kind of Jew I was. I wasn't orthodox. I wasn't secular. I wasn't... I was a Zionist. Most Israelis have to enter the military at age 18. Right after high school, Dean joined an elite unit. He trained hard during his first year, practicing hand-to-hand combat and using weapons, learning army Arabic. Stop or I'll shoot. Which is just open the door. Lift your hands. Take your shirt off. Turn around. Take your pants off. Give the keys to your car. Turn the car Turn off. the lights on. Turn the lights off. Uh, men to the right. The higher-ups chose him to become a commander. I was like, ah, I've won the lottery. This is like the best. This is exactly what I wanted. Dean's first assignments were in the West Bank the Palestinian territories Israel has occupied since 1967. He and his troops raided villages, patrolled streets, made arrests. There's one time where uh, one of my officers were driving outside of the uh, village. He tells us to open up the doors of the armored vehicle, and then he gives us a box of flashbang grenades, and he tells us to start throwing them outside of the vehicle into the village in the middle of the night. And when we asked him why we had to do that, and he says, so they know who owns this place. One day, Dean and his soldiers caught some guys throwing stones in the Palestinian city of Hebron, surrounded by Israeli settlements. The guys were protesting exactly the kind of behavior Dean was talking about. When the soldiers went to arrest the guys, one of them gave Dean a hard time. I think I pointed to my gun and I said, don't make me do something I don't want to do. With his knee, Dean battered the man in his chest and face. Until he was like half passed out and bloody. I don't remember if he screamed. I don't remember if he cried. I don't remember if he was silent. I just remember it worked. Dean grabbed the bleeding man by the back of his neck and put his hands behind his back to cuff him. And, you know, you hear those clicks of the Ziplocs. I was, like, smiling. We were all happy. We got some action. We did what we had to do. That summer, Israel declared war on the Gaza Strip, a Palestinian-governed, resource-poor piece of land on the Mediterranean Sea. The Israeli army would send Dean's troops there to find and destroy underground Hamas tunnels. Gaza is, like, the hornet's nest. That's what it's called. Kenzot. It's like, it's out of charted territory. Dean led his men into Gaza through fences in the middle of the night. When the sun rose, he saw chaos. No one knows where everyone's standing. 
um, and people start shooting at buildings and people are entering from the wrong places and you almost shoot um, people from your company because they're standing in the wrong place. It's a mess. Bulldozers were ripping up houses and farmland. Um, and there were a lot of like just dead animals stuck under the debris and it smelled horrible because it was hot. So imagine like like dead farm animals, that smell. Or even the live ones, which are dehydrated and just like walking around in a kind of daze. Cows, camels, donkeys, chickens. That was like a smell that you don't forget. The war killed some 2,200 Palestinians and 70 Israelis. Dean, he got to go home. My parents were scared. They had no idea what to do. Uh, they literally like warmed up a schnitzel and then they cut it for me <laughs> as if I was six years old. Then <laughs> they were like talking quietly. Like, Dean, is everything okay? Do you want some ketchup? Is everything all right? Dean ate his schnitzel and took a shower. Days passed. Dean slept a lot. He read a lot. The more time that went past, the more I felt the dissonance between me supposed to be feeling like I'm a hero because I was one of the soldiers that was inside um, and the incredible guilt. Our housekeeper was Palestinian, had a son named Tariq, who was in administrative detention and the accusation of throwing stones in East Jerusalem. So my mom and Tariq's mom, our housekeeper, Majda, they'd get together and like cry and like, where are our sons? What is happening here? After Dean's mom told him this story, she called up their housekeeper, Majda. She invited Dean over for dinner to meet her son, Tarek. I was excited, and also I was, it seemed like an adventure. Now, it's like less, it's like two kilometers away driving less, but it's like a distance I never traveled for 24 years. And I meet Tarek, we go to the like neighborhood vegetable store, and then we sit down for dinner. There are like mixed feelings about me being there. Some people are more comfortable, some people are less. It was a beautiful dinner and just a family sitting there and I was sitting right in front of the door. I'm like asking someone to pass me the rice and we're eating and then I like take a look at the door and I realize that this is exactly what was happening right before every single time I barged in through a Palestinian door in the middle of their dinner or in the middle of the night. It's just people's lives being people's lives. Nothing made sense anymore. Dean didn't talk about it much, except with a close friend. One day over beer, that friend invited Dean to a lecture by a Palestinian, Basim Aramin. He has this amazing story of how he come to terms with nonviolence. One day, his daughter was walking home from school. She was around six years old, and she was shot in the head by a border police officer and killed. Basim was talking to Israeli students in an auditorium. And he's telling his story, and one of the kids raises his hands, and he asks, why is it that an Israeli soldier would shoot a kid in the head? Like, why would that happen? And then from the back of the room, I, like, raise my hand. Basim called on Dean to speak. Dean wasn't sure where he was going when he started talking to the room. 
but soon he was talking about his own experience as a soldier. And I started explaining to them about how I was, my soldiers were in a checkpoint one time and one of my sergeants ordered a soldier to shoot a rubber bullet, which instead of hitting the kid in the leg, hit him in the chest. While I was telling that story, my voice was shaking. And Bassam, what Bassam does after I talk about how soldiers shoot Palestinian kids is that he walks over to me while my voice is shaking with a glass of water and he gives it to me. I think that like I've never been worthy of so much compassion, but like the fact that he did that um, and then afterwards spoke to me after the lecture and we spoke a bit and he asked me about my background and what's going on. And he goes, uh, one day you'll join combatants for peace and uh, <laughs> you'll be an activist. <laughs> like, Bassam, I don't think so. <laughs> Weeks later, Dean met with the group Bassam had talked about, Combatants for Peace. It's a group of Palestinians and Israelis who've taken an active role in violence and now work together to talk and promote nonviolence in the region. Dean recalls his first meeting with Palestinians in this context. Like I kept looking at their pockets. I was always trained to do is like look at people's pockets to see if they're going to pull out a knife or something. But at those meetings, Dean really listened to Palestinians tell their stories. And for the first time, he was realizing that there were worlds of stories beyond the ones he'd grown up hearing about the heroic fight for a Jewish state. And I felt like the ground was just pulled out under my leg. Dean's religion had been orbiting around nationalism. But the more he learned from Palestinians the more holes he found in his steadfast faith in the noble and moral struggle for a Jewish homeland. So if I thought that I was going into the army to be my grandfather, the like freedom fighter who was fighting the British soldiers, and I found out I was like the British soldier. And that's hard to deal with. So if Dean no longer believed in taking up arms for the state of Israel, what did he really have? And suddenly you don't know where you're supposed to be. Um, or who you are exactly, or what story you're telling yourself anymore. Eventually, Dean met other veterans asking similar questions in an Israeli group called Breaking the Silence. A group of Israeli combat veterans calling themselves Breaking the Silence is now calling into question the official Israeli government version of... The veterans share their stories from their time in the military, and a lot of people really don't like it, including a lot of people in the government. There's a law called the Breaking the Silence Law that bans the group from speaking in public high schools. The only message of the group is, this is what we did, it's wrong. And I think that it's so controversial because it cuts straight to the core of our denial. Dean was sort of you know joining the organization then, and he gave this uh, excellent uh, interview, and I was like, you know, who, who is this kid? Um, and where did he come from? Avner Gavaryahu is the executive director of Breaking the Silence. When he heard Dean speaking to the press about his own testimony, Avner asked him to be the spokesperson. That was sort of a, a bold move. He didn't have a lot of experience. Dean was just 24 at the time. I'm Dini Sakharov. 
לפני שלוש שנים שירתתי כקצין ולוחם בחברון. About half a year into the job, he was out with friends in Jerusalem. They were headed to a bar when Dean pulled out his phone and clicked on a Facebook notification. I was tagged on Facebook. <laughs> and see this video. The video shows Dean's testimony in front of a big group. Dean is describing the day he beat unconscious the young Palestinian man who was resisting arrest on the accusation of throwing stones. And then a man with a scruffy beard and fade haircut with the title Team Commander comes on the screen and says in Hebrew, it never happened. Another guy with the title Fighter to the Company says, Where did you come up with this stuff? And then, one by one, 12 soldiers look straight into the camera. Dean, I was your crew commander, and you're a liar. Dean Zakharov, I was your soldier, and you're a liar. Dean, I saw your testimony, and you're a liar. Dean, I was a fighter in your unit, and you're a liar. And it's one after another, and another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. These are guys you know. Some of these guys followed me into Gaza. It's not guys that I know. Some of these guys were like guys that I was shot out with. And the video is them calling me a liar, and then it ends with some text saying, you're either a liar or a criminal. When we come back, Shana Shaley continues the story, exploring how Dean deals with the repercussions of speaking out. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. We'll be right back after this short break. friends, I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you. And let's get back to the show.
Welcome back to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. We're listening to the story of Dina Sakharov, a former Israeli soldier who began questioning his role and relationship to Palestinians. He began to reckon with his power and his actions, speaking out and sharing his account of his time in the military, and specifically describing the tactics that he engaged in, along with other soldiers, tactics intended to instill fear. As Dean begins to speak out using social media, offering his version and account of what happened on the ground, the reaction is swift, one he did not expect. Accusations of betrayal from his fellow soldiers. Let's get back to the story. Here's producer Shana Sheely. One by one, 12 soldiers look straight into the camera. Dean, I was your crew commander, and you're a liar. Dean Zakharov, I was your soldier, and you're a liar. Dean, I saw your testimony, and you're a liar. Dean, I was a fighter in your unit, and you're a liar. And it's one after another, and another one, and another one, and another one. And another one. These are guys you know. Some of these guys followed me into Gaza. These is not guys that I know. Some of these guys were like guys that I was shot out with. And the video is them calling me a liar, and then it ends with some text saying you're either a liar or a criminal. Within 24 hours, the video reached radio and TV stations. It was everywhere. It got to the news. It was, it was big. And this thing keeps going and going on the internet. It like, doesn't stop. People are like writing posts and it's becoming viral. And suddenly like the security minister comments on it. And then the justice minister says that I should be investigated. A few days later... Police called Dean in on suspicion of aggravated assault. A felony which you can sit in jail for. And did you have the choice of taking back your testimony? Like, could you have just said, actually, I didn't really do that. Stop this investigation. Yeah, my lawyer um, told me that you should just shut up and it will go away. Now, obviously, they thought that they'd investigate me and I'd remain silent. And then they'd be able to say, well, he chickened out or... He's a liar. If the country believed he was a liar, it would undermine his entire organization, breaking the silence, and all of its veterans' testimonies. But if Dean maintained that he did assault someone, that would make him a criminal. Avner, the executive director of Breaking the Silence, didn't really know what to do. I spoke to Dean, and he really wanted to respond. It's very clear that this was a beginning of something uh, in the world, and this was a beginning of something for Dean. In April 2017, Dean declared in front of police investigators that he assaulted a Palestinian man. The investigators found a Palestinian man. That man said Dean never beat him up. So the investigators said Dean was lying, and they wouldn't put him on trial. Dean says he and Avner quickly realized what they needed to do. What we have to do right now is the investigation which the police weren't willing to do. 
and we have to start collecting evidence and trying to find witnesses and the victim and 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 prove that what I was talking about was the truth. So you have to prove that you committed this crime. Exactly. When Dean saw the photo of the Palestinian man the investigators had questioned, he realized it was the wrong guy. But that wasn't enough for the court to reopen the trial. Dean needed more evidence that he was telling the truth. He knew there was an Israeli human rights organization that gives cameras to Palestinians to document daily life in the territories. He gave that organization a range of dates, and they combed through every piece of footage between those dates. And we get a phone call, and I get rushed over to the lawyer's office. Uh, They open the computer. And we were all standing there, huddled around this small screen. We're, We're watching this footage, and we see Dean walking out of this alley with a bunch of soldiers. And then suddenly there's me and another guy holding the guy that I need, and I recognize him, and he's bruised in the face. There was Dean after he beat up the guy and paraded him through the streets with other soldiers. The video shows that. My immediate response was that I broke out crying. (laughs) I kept saying, sons of bitches, sons of bitches. With proof in hand, he got right to work. He called local journalists. And soon, the state attorney's office reopened the investigation. One of Israel's leading investigative journalism TV shows took up Dean's story. A few days before the TV show ran, the state attorney's office released a statement admitting the mistake of interrogating the wrong Palestinian man. And that's huge. It's the state attorney's office. Like, it's, like, very powerful people with a lot to lose who did not want to admit their fault. Did you ever find the right Palestinian? Well, New Year's Eve 2018, about to go out to a party, and I'm told that there's going to be an interview with the guy who I actually beat up. Israeli TV journalists had found the right Palestinian man. His name is Faisal Al-Natsha. And I sit there watching the news, and they're interviewing this guy's mother. She's talking about the trauma that her son went through. And they're interviewing him. And the second you have a Palestinian perspective inside of that, you realize how ridiculous it is. And, and I had to look this guy in the eyes and hear his account of it and hear his mother talking about what I did to her son. Did you ever interact with him or talk to him? No. Do you want to? No. I don't think he'd want to forgive me and I don't think it'd be a fair thing to ask for. Before the state closed its investigation, Dean left his job representing Breaking the Silence. He went to work as a spokesperson for Ayman Oda, leader of the third largest bloc in Israel's parliament. Oda wants a shared future with the full and equal participation for the Arab Palestinians who live in Israel and who have citizenship. He's also calling for an end to the Israeli occupation and the establishment of an independent Palestinian state. Dean works pretty much around the clock for Oda. As for his Judaism... Well, it took me a very long time to realize that I can be Jewish without being a Zionist. There's 
this restaurant he goes to when he gets stressed or lonely. He orders the sour cherry cherry soup soup with with the dumplings dumplings with meat inside of them. Delicious. A traditional dish belonging to Bukhari Jews. Jews with ancestors from Central Asian countries like Uzbekistan, where Dean's grandparents came from. Eating it, he says, is his version of praying. Oh, because I'm serious. Because that's like, why do people pray? They just want to feel like they're connecting to something that people they love have done before them. They want to feel at home. They want to feel something familiar. They want to feel less alone. More than food connects Dean with his ancestors. I also feel like it's very Jewish to fight apartheid. There's something about Judaism which doesn't naturally lend itself to supremacy. There's something about Judaism which in its, in its, and again, this is only my read of it, but in its core is, I don't know if existential is the word as much as non, not materialistic. And when you're not materialistic because your God doesn't have a name or a body or a face, then you can't worship land and you can't worship flags and you can't worship symbols. You can try and do good to other people. Dean, with his public speaking and writing, his nonstop calls with journalists, his political activism, he's trying to do good for his people, for his country. For The Spiritual Edge, I'm Shana Sheely. Shana Sheely is a reporter who produced this story as part of a new international religion reporting project called Sacred Steps. It's produced in collaboration with KALW Spiritual Edge and the University of Southern California Center for Religion and Civic Culture. To hear more stories like this, check out the podcast. You can find it in your favorite podcast feed or visit thespiritualedge.org. When we come back, producer Kimberly Winston takes us on an exploration of a sacred anthem, Lift Every Voice. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices, I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. Stay with us. <music> 